Now understand, Daniel in his day had less than half of the Bible. You have a whole Bible and some of you haven't picked it up since last Sunday. And you wonder why you can't see, why you don't understand what's really going on in your family. You don't understand why you can't speak with boldness. You don't understand why you can't stand with strength before the Lord because God uses his word to pull those things off. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. As we continue our study in Daniel chapter 10, we're looking at His divine revelation from heaven, a revelation of the Lord God Himself. As we pick up in our study of prophecy, Pastor Brogy notes the Jews who were deported to Babylon are becoming comfortable instead of looking for hope to return to their promised land. Now remember, initially, As you read in the prophet Jeremiah, we studied the 29th chapter weeks ago, that there were false prophets who lived during Jeremiah's day who said, oh, the time of deportation is not going to be 70 years. It's going to be a short time. Don't worry, you're not going to be here long. You're going to be able to go home soon. And the prophet Jeremiah comes online, and in the 29th chapter, he says, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and not decrease. He reminds them, hey, look, it's gonna be 70 years. They all wanna go home initially. Now 70 years have gone by and virtually no one wants to go home. There's approximately two to three million Jews living here. And according to the book of Ezra in the second chapter, only 49,897 choose to go back. It's just a remnant. Now, I think Daniel would have crawled back if he could have gone, if God would have let him. Here's a man who loves Jerusalem. He loves the holy mountain where the temple once stood. He cares about the things of God. He turned every day towards Jerusalem three times and prayed in that direction. And yet all Daniel can see is the incredible apathy of the people of his day such that they don't care to go back. They had a chance. The king himself was stirred by God Almighty. Go back, build your temple, build your city. And they sit on their hands because it's too comfortable. And so we read in Ezra chapter 3 and verse 3. So they set up the altar on its foundation. This remnant went back, but there's a second problem. For they were terrified because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and burnt offerings morning and evening. So they go back, they set up the altar, but they get all this opposition. And Ezra and Nehemiah both write about it. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not yet been laid. And so when they finally get the courage up to ignore all the threats of the pagans in the land, we read this in Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of the exile were building the temple to the Lord God of Israel, they appointed Zerubbabel and the heads of father's household and said to them, let us build with you. 
For we, like you, seek your God, and we've been sacrificing to him since the days of Eshardin, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's households of Israel said to them, you have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. So you can see why Daniel is so burdened, why he is mourning. The people are apathetic, most don't want to go back, and those few that went back out of several million are discouraged, they're frightened by what is going on. You can read Ezra, they write a letter to the king, they say, hey, these people, king, they, they're just trying to get out of paying taxes, and so he puts a stop order on the whole project. So that's the conflict in the revelation that is causing this man to mourn. Then there's the concern over the revelation. The concern over the revelation. We read here in verse 3, I did not put any, I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. So Daniel's burden moves him to some lifestyle changes for 21 days. He abstained from tasty food. The Hebrew literally means tasty bread or you could render it food of delight. The Net Bible says no choice food. The ESV renders it no delicacies. Now this was not an absolute fast, but he abstained from certain kinds of food and he took very simple food, maybe as a time factor, so he didn't have to prepare. He just took simple food, what he needed to sustain himself to live. We're also told that he did not eat meat, but he also abstained from wine, which we saw in chapter one that he did not want the king's wine because it would have been strong drink. And so the Jewish people who did not want to violate uh, God's admonition not to partake of strong drink, the one exception was to give it to a dying man like we give morphine to someone in the hospital. They would mix it with water, but he said, no, I'm going to abstain from wine. But in addition, the Bible says he abstained from using ointment. And Jews used ointment as a means of grooming themselves when they went out to be socially active in the culture. Today, we might put on perfume or aftershave. But Daniel recognizes that all of these things are distractions, and he wants to give his full attention to the Lord God because he has this deep burden in his heart. By the way, where do you go when you have a deep burden in your heart? See, some of us, we don't go to God first. We go to our spouse first. We run to our pastor. We run to our girlfriend, our, our, our guy friend, whatever it might be. Or we have a conversation with ourselves, And we carry the problem over in our mind. And we talk to ourselves about the problem. But here's a man of God who intensely seeks the living God. That's the context in which this divine visitation is given. So that's the first point. Secondly, there in your outline, there's the revelation of God himself. At the end of three weeks of mourning and abstention, God is going to give him a revelation. But before he gives him the revelation recorded in the 11th chapter, God speaks to him about himself. And by the way, that's important. You can study Bible prophecy, but if you miss God in the midst of that prophecy, you've missed the most important thing. You can even get overwhelmed and even fearful by prophecy. But when you recognize God is on his throne, he is in control, he is sovereign in all that is happening, it brings a sense of peace. So first, 
there are three truths that are unscored, underscored in this revelation of God. The first is the time of the revelation. The time of the revelation is very significant. We're told in verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. So he began fasting on the third of Nisan until the 24th day of the first month, until the 24th of Nisan. Why is that important? Because the Torah tells us that there are two feasts that were carried on during that time. The Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You say, why is that important? Because those were two of the seven feasts that God dictated for the Jewish people to celebrate. And those two feasts were to remind Israel of their liberation, their freedom out of Egypt. It was a reminder of an, a marvelous emancipation that God brought. So the Jews are still here in Babylon. And while they are celebrating their 4th of July, so to speak, their emancipation, their deliverance out of Egypt, they're ignoring the freedom that God gave them through Cyrus the king telling them they can go home. And so this house that was once a house of bondage had become a house of business because life was so good there, they didn't want to go back. Their priorities were out of whack. That's the time of the revelation. Think about the terror during the revelation. There's a certain terror that unfolds. So in this vision, Daniel gets a revelation of the glorified Christ. Centuries before Jesus ever appeared and gave a glimpse of the coming kingdom on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Moses and Elijah are there with the glorified Christ, there were times when he came, ever before he took on human flesh, he shows up at various occasions in the Old Testament. And this is one of those occasions. Let's read verses 5 through 7. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. Now, precisely who was this certain man? Well, some expositors say, well, a heavenly visitor. Well, that's a good, safe answer, but it doesn't really exegete the text. Can we know who this person is? Yes, we can. This was indeed the Lord Jesus before he had incarnated himself in Mary's womb. There are, in the Old Testament, theophanies and Christophanies where God appears, where he will show himself and manifest himself. And one of the famous theophanies or Christophanies of the Old Testament is when God comes as the angel of the Lord. Now remember, one of the titles for Messiah that the prophet Isaiah gave was Emmanuel, God with us. But ever before God was with us, literally, actually, physically, in a body as he walked upon the earth, he appeared through the second person of the Trinity as the angel of the Lord. There are numerous passages we can look at, but let's just look at one. It's found in Genesis 16. You can turn there or you can listen. Genesis 16 and verse 3, the occasion is Hagar, who is forced to flee from Abraham and Sarah's home, and she's out in the desert. We're told in, told in Genesis 16, verse 3, after Abram, before he's named Abraham, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai 
took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. By the way, this is the very first time the angel of the Lord appears. It's not an angel, but it's the angel. And if you've been with us our study of Daniel, we learn that the different English spellings of the word Lord would help you to discern which Hebrew word is in view. You can read it in the introduction to your New American Standard Bible. It's all caps, capital L-O-R-D. This is the angel of Jehovah, the angel of Yahweh, verse 8. He said, Hagar, Sarai's, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Now notice the irony of this verse. The angel of the Lord knows Hagar's name. He knows all about her problems, and yet he asks her, where'd you come from? Where are you going? Remember, God never asks questions in the Bible as an omniscient God to get information. He asks questions in the Bible, where are you, Adam, to reveal problems or needs in our life? Hagar could flee from the presence of Sarai, but she could not flee from the presence of the Lord. And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And notice verse 9, how he graciously responds and gives her a command. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourselves to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Don't worry, Hagar, you're going to have a baby, and from this child will come a great nation, and your descendants will be many. Now, that is a promise that only God Almighty can make, because only God Almighty can create, and yet the angel of the Lord says, I will multiply your descendants. Furthermore, in verse 11 of that chapter, behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son by divine ultrasound. She finds out she's going to have a baby boy. And you shall call his name Ishmael, which in Hebrew literally means God hears, which is a reminder to me that God cares about abused people. And he cares about little babies, even babies in the womb, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Furthermore, this is no ordinary angel. 16:13 says, "Then he called the name of then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her." Please note, Moses is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he refers to her as the angel of Yahweh. He uses the Hebrew tetragrammaton YHWH, a title exclusively given to God. Then she called the name, not of the angel, but of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, I have even remained alive here after seeing him. 
she recognized the one that she was speaking to was God himself, that God had come in veiled form as the angel of the Lord such that she could see him and still live. Now, there are many other passages we could look at where the angel of the Lord appears, like with Jacob or Abraham there on the top of Mount Moriah or uh, Moses at the burning bush or Gideon there uh, when he has his experience out there as well. But here is an important reference to the angel of the Lord. It is God himself, as each of those passages indicate, the angel of the Lord is called God. And God himself identifies himself with the term Lord or God in those various passages. So think your way through this. This is very important. You say, okay, if this is God, which member of the Godhead is it? Is it Father, Son, or the Spirit? Clearly it's the Son. How do you know? I'll give you six reasons. You can jot them down and go home and study them if you want. Number one, the second person of the Trinity is the only visible member of the Godhead in the New Testament. Just as the angel of the Lord is the only visible member of the Godhead in the Old Testament. Number two, the terminology, the angel of the Lord, never ever once appears in the New Testament after the incarnation. And there's a reason, because Jesus has incarnated himself. Third, both the angel of the Lord and Jesus Christ are both sent by God the Father. God the Father is never sent. Fourth, The angel of the Lord could not be God the Spirit because like God the Father, he is never seen. He never appears in bodily form in Scripture. Jesus compared the Spirit to the wind, but the wind blows where it pleases, yet you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. Fifth, equally true, God the Father never takes on bodily form. In fact, Paul, when he writes to Timothy, says in 1 Timothy 6 that the Father dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be glory and honor and eternal dominion. And sixth and finally, the angel of the Lord, and this is the telltale one, this is the corker, is the one who is said to accompany the people of Israel through the wilderness. And Paul boldly says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that that was the Lord Jesus himself. Now I say all that to say this. When Daniel has this encounter with this certain man, this is not the first time he has appeared in Scripture. And I know for other reasons that this was the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. Why don't you hold your finger here and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, and go to Revelation chapter 1. The beloved disciple is given a prophetic vision from Jesus Christ. This beloved disciple, he's the esteemed one, Daniel, is also given equally a prophetic vision of the end of time. Now, as you're turning there, let me read the description of this person, this certain man that Daniel sees. He said, I lifted up my eyes, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of euphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Again, if you know your Bible, then you know this is virtually the identical description 
that the Apostle John has of the risen Christ in Revelation 1. Listen to verse 12 of that chapter. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast was a gold, with, a gold, with a, gir, a golden girdle. So just as in Daniel's vision, this one dressed with a, is dressed in a robe, and he has a belt of gold around his waist, verse 14, and his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Daniel also describes the eyes of this certain man with like flaming torches. Furthermore, in verse 15 of this chapter, and his feet were like burnished bronze when it had been caused to glow in a furnace. Daniel said his feet were like the gleam of polished bronze. John adds, in his voice was like the sound of many waters. That's exactly how Daniel describes the voice of this certain man. The sound of his words, he says, was the sound of a tumult. Look at Revelation 1.16. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp sword, and his face was like the shining sun in its strength. Identical in description, a shining face. This one in the Revelation and in Daniel's vision. Now understand what happened to the Apostle John when he saw Christ in heaven. Revelation 1.17 says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. Now back here to Daniel chapter 10. What happened to Daniel? We read in Daniel 10 and verse 7, Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. While the men who were with me did not see the vision, nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned in a deathly parlor, pallor, and I retained no strength. Daniel saw him and passed out. John sees the risen Christ, and he passes out. There's something about the glory of God that most of us know very little of. We flippantly call him, pagans do, I hope you don't, the man upstairs. When Isaiah has a picture of him, all he can say in the trisigion, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And if most of us had a vision like Daniel or John or Isaiah did, we too would fall down. We too would recognize that we are unworthy. And so even these men in Daniel's day who didn't see the vision, but they sense the presence of God, they hide and they flee. Just like in the Revelation, people hide from God. They go into the caves and they say, fall on us. And just like the men on the Damascus road with the Apostle Paul, he sees the risen Lord. They don't see him, but they are frightened and terrified. A great dread fell on them and they ran away to hide them. Themselves. Now, beyond the terror during the revelation, think about the trance after the revelation. The trance that follows. Look now at verse 9. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Listen, had this person been a normal, everyday kind of angel, Daniel never would have had the kind of reaction he did. 
When he sees the angel Gabriel in Daniel 8, he's initially frightened, but he's not paralyzed. In fact, when you read in his second time, he's very comfortable. He's no longer frightened. But when he meets this person, he cannot move and he cannot speak. It's like someone terrified in a dream and it's like you're frozen. Now, there's one more truth. Beyond the revelation of things to come and the revelation of God himself, there is the revelation from an angelic being. The vision of the divine person fades and Daniel, we will see now, is left talking with an ordinary angel. Probably the angel Gabriel who accompanied the Son of God. He's the messenger angel of the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Just as Michael is the defender, the warrior angel. And so the scene changes. No longer do we have Daniel having a vision of the Son of God. But an angel comes to minister to him. And there are three aspects of this encounter by which he cares for him. And there are three things that I want you to see. First, the conflict uh, delaying this revelation. The conflict delaying the revelation. What I want you to see, if you don't get anything else out of the message today, is that there is an invisible war. There is an unseen conflict that is going on that most of us are not aware of. Look now at verse 10. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He doesn't use a, uh, antecedent, uh, a pronoun to point back. He, he's talking about a, a different angel, and that becomes clear as how he will speak to this one. He will, unlike all the other encounters with the angel Lord, he doesn't call him Yahweh of God. This is just an ordinary angel. Oh, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. So here was Daniel earnestly, humbly seeking the face of God for three entire weeks. And God heard his prayer the moment he prayed. It's an example of what Isaiah writes in 65, 24. It will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Our prayers can be answered faster than the speed of light. But according to this text, while God immediately heard him, the answer was delayed for three weeks. And I'm sure there are different reasons why while you pray, your prayer, like my prayer, is sometimes delayed. Sometimes we ask amiss. And God just knows if we have some time behind us, we will see that what we're asking for is not for our best or for God's glory. And we change our prayer. Or sometimes God uses natural means to answer our prayer. Certainly he could heal you instantly in a moment's time. And he does that on occasion. But most of the time, God uses medical means to answer the prayer, and that may take time. Or sometimes, God knows that our hearts aren't right for an immediate answer. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear. People hide from God and His truth when they know they have done wrong, and avoid truth when they become complacent when God wants them to move on His behalf. When we return, we'll continue our study of the divine revelation brought to us through Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 10. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, 
or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN10. Join us again next time as we continue our look at Daniel's Divine Revelation from Heaven and Search the Scriptures.